Hello, and welcome to the FreightVine podcast, your source for all things freight transportation. I'm Chris Kaplis, Chief Scientist at DAT Freight and Analytics, and today I'm joined by Seth Clevenger, Managing Editor at Transport Topics. With over a decade at Transport Topics, Seth is an expert on how technology is transforming truck transportation. While those not involved in the industry might think that trucking is low-tech, everyone who listens to this podcast knows that that's simply just not true. In fact, the level of technology in trucking has been growing exponentially to the point today where an owner-operator has as much, if not more, technological capability and savvy as the drivers of the largest trucking firms had just 5, 10 years ago, which is an amazing achievement. So in this conversation, Seth and I will talk about how different technologies are affecting the industry, how they're being adopted, and the impact that they're having today, as well as they might have in the future. Following my conversation with Seth, I'll be joined by Dr. Inami Yub to discuss the truckload market update. So let's get started. Hi, Seth. Welcome to Freightvine. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, this is this should be great because uh, we get to talk about technology and uh, technology and trucking. If you talk to most laymen or people on the street, uh, they think that uh, trucking is not very technologically sophisticated, right? It's just a truck. So how do you respond to that, Seth? Because you, you're into this area pretty heavily. What do you think? Yeah, there still is that perception out there, you know, to your point that, you know, Trucking is often seen as a technology laggard, and right. I think that's changed a lot in recent years. You know, in the ten plus years that I've been covering the industry, it's amazing how much technology adoption we've seen. You know, it used to be you know sort of a select number of larger fleets that were early adopters of technology, and then some of that would trickle down to the you know medium uh, size carriers. But really, it's you know everybody in trucking. You know, from owner operators up to the largest fleet are using technology in some fashion, and you know I think that's starting to to convey to the you know the general public as well a little bit. You know, you go to a big technology show like CES mm-hmm. in Las Vegas, and it's actually amazing how many Class Eight tractors you see on display <laughs> at, on at the Las Vegas Convention Center. Because uh, wow. so much uh, technology and and uh, you know emerging technologies are being targeted at the freight transportation industry. Sure, and that's a change. Ten years ago, certainly fifteen years ago, that was not the case. But Silicon Valley and entrepreneurs and and uh, technology companies have really discovered trucking. You know, yep. It, yep. of course, freight transportation for so many people kind of just operates in the background. You know, you go to the store and everything you want is there. Not a whole lot of thought as to to how it got to the shelves, and you know, with the coronavirus pandemic, of course, and all the supply chain disruptions we've seen as a result, with the economic rebound and and all the supply shortages, there's been a lot, uh, just a much more focus and, and much more attention in the mainstream about the supply chain, right? And that right. also has really shined a spotlight on again this industry that really kind of operates or traditionally has operated in the background, and uh, I think is more appreciated. But, you know, that's that's also been true on the technology side where so many technology developers see opportunities. And if they didn't see it 10 years ago, well, they're seeing it now. Right. You know, just the need to to streamline uh, freight and to do things as efficiently as possible. Make, makes sense. Makes sense. Let me ask a question about that because you raised a really interesting point that even owner operators are more technically savvy. So let me ask you a hypothetical. So owner operators today and the technology they have. 
at what point was that the cutting edge technology that a Schneider or JB Hunt only would have? <laughs> are our owner operators now equivalent to the large fleet in 2010, 2005? What do you think? Well, that's a great question. And, you know, th- there certainly is a, you know, a, a separation of a, probably a good decade or so. Uh, yeah. But with uh, mobile devices, smart devices now are pretty much ubiquitous. There's so much you can do on your smartphone, on your tablet. And we see a lot of owner operators now um, and small fleets right. using consumer technology, you know, to run business applications. And that has started to, to even the, the playing field a little bit, or at least allows a small business to have access to some of the table stakes capabilities right, right. that but, the whole industry just expects now. So yeah, Seth, I'd say, Seth, I'd say somewhere in that 10 to 15 year range is about 10 right. 10 to 15. Okay. You yeah. weren't going to answer my, I thought you were going <laughs> to evade my question. 10 to 15. I think your okay, range is right. Okay. Let me, you asked, raised another interesting point, consumer electronics and things like that that are readily available. Sometimes when a new technology is introduced, the new entrants can leapfrog the older entrants. And the classic example of this is in the United States, our mobile phone technology is way behind most of the world because we had copper cables. And we are so slow to adopt that other parts of the country, of the world rather, Latin America and others, leapfrogged us in terms of mobile capabilities. They had mobile pay in Latin America a decade before we had it here. Do you think that same thing is happening, that we have these tablets and smartphones and that they're, they're not, uh, that owner operators and small carriers aren't tethered to the, own, oh, the older technologies they might have invested in? Well, that's a good point. Uh, you know, if you're running, a, say, an Android device, uh, you know that is a you know you, you basically are you have access to this whole universe of applications that many developers are working on. Right. Uh, that's that's a different uh, than what we've seen in, say, like a traditional, say, a you know telematic system or ELD uh, from say ten years or plus ago. Right. That were you know, more traditional. Uh, now, granted, there's some benefits to having a more industrial design in an industrial application like trucking. You know, if Fair. you drop your, you know, your your cell phone when you're getting in and out of a truck, uh, that can be a problem. And all of a sudden, <laughs> your business critical device is now you know in need of repair. Uh, so there there is something to having something that's really built for business, especially for the rigors of trucking. But right. the flexibility and the ability mm. to adapt to changes in technology quickly has become more and more important, you know, longer, you know, some of like the old uh, systems, companies might go many years before swapping out the technology for something newer. Uh, And we're even seeing that a little bit with the the 3G sunset, you know, there there are companies Mm. that out there still have 3G devices, whether it's like a trailer tracking system or something in their cab that needs to be swapped out because the, you know, the wireless carriers are, are sunsetting the, the service. Uh, most of the industry, I think, got the message on that and, and, and stayed on, t- on top of that. But there's still some stragglers that are catching up to that and, and upgrading to, right. to 4G LTE, which is the standard uh, for, for trucking uh, IoT you know, devices on, got the, it. on the truck and the cab. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So you you uh, hinted at the range of of size of carriers in the in the industry, and as we all know, there are many, many, many very small players. In fact, the last statistic I saw was fifty six percent of all truckload carriers were owner operators. Now they don't represent a significant amount of the total capacity, but still they're out there. 
what do you think the gap, uh, we mentioned this, the gap between small and large firms and figure the really large ones versus the middle carriers versus the tiny onesie twosies. Um, is that gap still there? Do you think that gap is shrinking or increasing? Yeah, well, there's certainly still a gap. Uh, I think that you know the, the largest carriers out there uh, that have the resources and are making the investments in technology and in many cases are building their own proprietary technology platforms. Uh, to me, that is, uh, you know, that's at the forefront. That's the the leading edge of technology in our industry. Uh, and, you know, like I said earlier, traditionally the mid-sized carriers would usually follow um, a number of years after uh, certain uh, technology started to, to really catch on among the biggest players. And, and right. but now I think that, you know, again, with technology and a lot of this, I think you can tie in with ELDs, you know, the ELD mandate mm. several years ago uh, has, yes, it was a government mandate. Um, and, and all it really applied to was uh, automatically recording your hours of service information. Uh, but once you have that technology platform, it's so easy to do uh, a lot of other things that are helpful from a business perspective, uh, whether it be uh, you know, vehicle inspection reports or other just workflow items. And, and it's also, of course, a benefit to, uh, you know, to automate the paperwork. You know, if you're, you know, if you were following hours of service to a T before and after uh, the mandate, um, you know, really you, you gained uh, efficiency because you're not manually filling out paper logs. Right. Right. Uh, so there's something to be said for that as well. And uh, yes, the small carriers are catching up uh, because of mm -hmm. some of these changes, because of you know, the ubiquity of ELDs, uh, mobile devices. And we also see more and more applications that are designed for small carriers specifically. Right, you know, right. And they, you know, it's, it's technology that kind of emulates what you see at the, at the high end of the market, the large carriers, uh, but make that those types of capabilities accessible to uh, the smaller companies. And that is really... Uh, been a big trend that we've seen in, in the last handful of years. Makes sense. Makes sense. So let's dive into some specific technology and start with ELD, which you kind of went to. A lot of fear about it being adopted, you know, the right, the sky will fall, all of this. But it seems like most carriers of a certain size had already adopted them and it was just that tail that came. So what were some unexpected benefits that came from that? Uh, you, you mentioned some of the system processing and things like that. There was a uh, but I know there have been some papers out that said, yes, you know, ELD compliance is up, but we haven't seen the corresponding safety increases or that accidents haven't gone down. What, what are your thoughts? What are some of the unexpected benefits from ELDs? Yeah, so, you know, ELD, and, and yes, of course, this was a, a huge topic. This was a, you know, a, a landmark change in the trucking mm -hmm. industry's uh, regulatory landscape. So, of course, uh, there was a great deal of focus and uh, debate and uh, you know, even some consternation, of course. Um, but, you know, I, I think that, you know, over time, you know, this is settled in, it's the new normal. Uh, and and some of those benefits that we, we touched on earlier are more clear. Uh, you know, you're, it just makes sense to automate paperwork in 2022. Uh, but there's know. a lot of, Seth, wasn't there resistance from uh the driver saying someone's in my cab now and they're, they're watching yeah. me over my shoulder, you know, the big brothers in, in my cab. Do well, you think that's gone away or people realize the potential benefits or what, what do you think? 
Yeah, there's there. Of course, there's always been that uh, you know concern that has to be addressed, but uh, some of the technical specifications of the ELD are designed to mitigate that, like not like the like the GPS tracking being not so precise as to tell you exactly where you are. You know, mm-hmm. a little bit of a I, I don't remember the exact uh, range, but it's not like a precise like address. You know, oh, we, you know, you you went shopping at uh, this time, <laughs> the store at this, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and, and really, it, it exists to um, you know prove out the out the hours of service. Right? It's just it's, right. it's uh, tracking and uh, you know ensuring compliance. Uh, with the regulation that has existed, you know, before and after uh, the ELD mandate. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, like I said, you know, this can also be an opportunity. You know, this is uh, not just uh, a burden. You know, once you have the technology platform, you know, there's there's many other things you can do um, to to operate your business more efficiently. Right, uh, right. It's, there, there are other business processes that can be automated and, you know, just streamline the process. And, you know, if so, you're in a fleet environment, uh, it's, it's, uh, uh, you, you're, you're tying into the fleet management system and, you know, just operationally, it's a, you know, there are many benefits that I think the industry is only, you know, has, has only partially realized at this point. That makes sense. That makes sense. And it also produces a treasure trove of data that just mm-hmm. wasn't there before at any scale. So one of my colleagues up here at MIT has done an analysis looking at the amount of time a driver is actually driving, right? And so on average, looking at a, a handful of different carriers and thousands of drivers, it's like six and a half hours on average uh, when they have 11 hours to drive. So it, it raises a question, um, which we've talked on this on this podcast before, is there really a driver shortage or is it really just efficiency? And so I, I, what are your thoughts about that? What are some other unexpected benefits coming out from the data that's produced from that. Have you seen anything? Well, uh, you know, to your point, you know, all those trucks that were operating with zero telematics, uh, mm-hmm. you know, m- for the most part, they're connected now. Uh, so yeah. there is some data, there is some business intelligence opportunity uh, to better utilize the capacity that's already on the road. You know, cause of course we do hear about the, you know, the workforce issues and um, you know, we talk, Driver shortage, I think, is helpful to kind of think of it through the lens of a of a carrier. You know, was, you know, of course, you talk to virtually any motor carrier, especially in in long haul, you know, over the road truckload, it is just so difficult to recruit. Uh, right. Turnover rates are just sky high. It's just it's just hard to believe how high you know, looking at a hundred percent plus turnover right. rate. Right. Um, it's just hard to imagine how you can operate a business that way. And it's just a, this massive challenge for the industry. Uh, so there, there's clearly a, a workforce challenge in trucking. Um, and but but Seth Seth, so do you think it's it's a problem? But maybe the ELD data and that analysis can help make the job a little better because the big complaint whenever we talk to drivers is that you know their waste their time is wasted. They're not being paid anything. Yeah. You know we talk about you know reducing empty miles and all that, but no one talks about empty hours. Where they they're just sitting at a DC waiting in a queue, yep. and that's that seems to drive job satisfaction and cost down. Yep. And so, that again, it, it just seems like that's the a huge job problem. could be treated so much better. No doubt, and you know the the driver's time is so valuable, and it's 
uh, really incumbent on the whole industry, you know, whether right. you're a carrier of any size, whether you're a, a broker, you know, to work with shippers and make it clear that, hey, we really need to do something about detention time. We need to turn trucks. We need to, you know, drivers need to be in and out. Uh, they're making money when they're on the road, not when they're right. sitting waiting to unload. Um, you know, truck parking is another issue. That's another yep. pain point yep. where there's a lot of efficiency lost because a uh, driver may just, you know, end the day a little bit early because, hey, parking is here. It's available. You know, I'm going to gambling if I want to drive for another uh, hour or maybe two hours. And I'm not sure I, I'm even going to be able to get parking uh, before my, I run out of drive time. So I'm just going to stop here. That's lost yeah. productivity for the, and that, that has a ripple effect across the whole industry. Yeah. You said uh, you had an interesting phrase. You said that, you know, driver's time is so valuable, but the honest truth is no one values it. Yeah. No one pays them based on the hours. And so it's such an interesting problem because it's not the, I mean, the carrier would love to keep all their drivers fully driving. The driver would love to drive, but usually it's uh, the interface, the customers, whether you're picking up or dropping off, um, they have no vested interest in improving the driver's utilization. So I, I'm curious if you think technology will at least be able to help us uncover and quantify the problem. And maybe the next step is, do you think there's a technology that can help solve some of these problems? What do you think? Yeah. And I think that you know, today's technology is shining a light on yeah. these productivity issues right now. They're showing where uh, there are opportunities to uh, do more with the existing capacity. You know, the existing drivers and existing trucks on the road, how do we use, um, you know, our existing resources as an, as an industry as efficiently as possible? Uh, so that's, that's here. And then, right. you know, the, the sort of the question of how to, to manage that more efficiently, I think that's where artificial intelligence and machine learning starts to come in a little bit where uh, maybe a, you know, dispatcher in an office, you know, without some of those tools, might not see all the ideal ways to, to dispatch and to plan routes, right. but you know, as we have more and more intelligence and uh, some algorithms that can analyze all this information we're collecting now uh, that no human can sift through in a timely manner, but right. start to point to better ways of doing things. Uh, that's, that's where we may see some benefit. I mean, uh, you know, AI is, is tying into basically just about any kind of software you can imagine, uh, where you're, whether it's decision-making tools, uh, to help companies and help people work more efficiently and make better decisions based on, uh, all this information that we're collecting, you know, that, that next challenge is not just to collect the information, but to actually right. find the, the real, uh, key information in a sea right, of data right. to, to make the best business decisions. So so do you have any examples where AI is actually being used today by a trucking company or something in this industry? Yeah, I mean, I think it's lots of subtle ways. Uh, you'll mm -hmm. see this in some cases among, say, freight brokers where, um, you know, it's, it's looking at, um, all right, what is the best truck for the route? Uh, right. what, you know, we know based on previously booked loads that this particular carrier prefers these types of routes, these, these types of loads. Uh, we know that, um, you know, based on conditions, um, you know, for this, uh, whether it's equipment type or, mm -hmm. or freight type, uh, we have these special considerations. 
so there's just all this information and the software can essentially learn from previous experience. Right. Uh, you get smarter and kind of make recommendations, not unlike, you know, if you go on Amazon and, and shop and then you get some suggestions, Hey, you know, other customers, you know, who ordered this have also ordered this or based on your personal preferences, we see that you ordered this shirt in a large instead of an XL, but you ordered XL in the past. Are you, is it, are we sure that's correct? So not replacing people, but kind of aiding the decision-making process. There's lots of subtle ways. I mean, AI and machine learning sounds dramatic, but it's really not. Um, it's, it's definitely not, you know, Skynet from Terminator. I mean, this is, uh, uh, this is decision-making tools. Yeah, it's funny because it depends. More and more technologies and methodologies get thrown into machine learning, right, or into these different, you know, AI and everything. But what you're describing, yeah, they're decision support systems where um, they're making a recommendation to the human. And the whole idea is to allow more of those things to be automatically executed upon when it makes sense, but still have the human in there to some degree. Um, yeah. But let me build off something you mentioned earlier. You mentioned uh, a little while ago about platforms and ELD is a platform coming in. And this seems to be the play that a lot of brokers are looking for, especially these digital brokers. But any any broker of size is really looking at this where they introduce a platform. Um, and then it's easy once you have that to add more functionality to that. Do you think that these platforms will lead to a consolidation in the brokerage space? Well, we, we're already seeing some examples of that. Uh, and the thing is, I guess we see it on both ends. We see new players jumping in uh, as you mm. see consolidation. <laughs> so at the same time, there's, you see some of the, you know, some players kind of come together, um, you know, existing players in the industry, but also new entrants coming in uh, with uh, uh, maybe a more tech forward approach right. um, than, than is traditional. But uh, you know, the, the, of course, the, the concept of like a digital freight broker, I mean, that's been kind of popularized by companies like Convoy, Uber Freight, uh, Transfix, uh, right. where that really is at the, kind of the core of what they do. But you look at what other brokers are doing, and it's, it's more and more digitized as well. Uh, it's not right. like they have a monopoly on, on that uh, idea. Certainly, like a C.H. Robinson, you know, is, is extremely tech-focused and um, you know, they, they, they've been investing heavily in technology for, for many years now. Uh, so, you know, the brokerage space is really, really interesting. You know, I, I do think that regardless of what happens, I mean, there, there's a place for niche players, I think, right. uh, moving forward, but it will become more digital. It will become yeah. more tech enabled. So I think that, you know, it's the small broker that is very traditional, that's still very, very reliant on, you know, check calls and you know, phone calls, just kind of pounding the phones You know, find a truck mm-hmm. to cover a load. Um, that's going to have to become more um, efficient through yeah, technology sure. uh, in order for them to compete, I think, over time. Yeah, but, but, but here's the question, Seth. So it's uh, this trucking, especially truckload trucking, very much an hourglass industry. You have millions of shippers. You have hundreds of thousands of carriers. And in the middle, you have about 17,000 brokers. And so the question is, will we see more carriers or fewer carriers? I don't see consolidation there because there's no barrier to entry or exit for trucking, for truckload trucking. There's still a ton of shippers. So the question is for brokers, is there a barrier to entry at some point? Because as you mentioned, for me to be a broker, I just need to have my brother-in-law to shipper and a phone. And I just kind (laughs) of, I pound the phone. So there's, there's always that constant 
feeding from the bottom. Um, and I right. wonder if there, if it makes sense to, you know, a lot of these new brokers talk about the flywheel. You, they're buying volume because at, after a certain point, you, you hit that. Do you think platforms will lead to, we only have 10 brokers or 20, 100 brokers? Yeah, honestly, I, I would be shocked to see it to that point. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I can imagine a number of very, very large players continuing to get bigger at the top of the market. Uh, but I also do continue to see uh, opportunities for smaller brokers, uh, especially where they have a certain niche specialty. There's a certain segment that they really, really know well. Because uh, at the end of the day, that's what the that's the value that the the broker yeah. brings to the market. Right. Really, right. Like, hey, we have the industry knowledge, and with these last two years, uh, in particular, with all the disruptions, sure. oh my god, all the headaches with uh, um, you know the supply chain disruptions from the pandemic. Add to that really, really tight freight capacity. Just finding a truck is so difficult. That's where yeah. that's when the broker really, really has an opportunity to shine. Hey, sure. I'm gonna, if you're, you're a shipper, you, you don't have the wherewithal to, in the industry knowledge and know how to handle all that and, and, and navigate such a difficult freight environment. You know, here's our opportunity to, to help you through that. And that's where I think, you know, if you're in a, you know, and there's so many niche markets, so many specialties. Right, uh, right. If you specialize in something that's, uh, you know, you can really serve this particular, the logistics need of this particular industry, there's a place for that. Right. Um, so I think that there will definitely yeah. be a place, but uh, they will have to become more tech enabled, I think. So that's, you raise a really interesting question. The same thing that's happening on the retail space, right? There's the behemoth Amazon and their platform is their platform. And so the question is, you know, is the platform just for that one user, just like Uber Freight, Convoy are battling it out, or will there be some, is there a lot of room for a, a Shopify? Are you familiar with Shopify? Uh, a little bit. It's yeah. where they provide, yeah, so they're enabling smaller retails by right. providing that infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So you could have a platform that is not tied to one broker, but enables the digitization for those. So which way do you think the platform development is going to be? The the mega platform and the one to rule them all? Or do you think there would be something like a Shopify side of things? Uh, I guess the short answer is both. Um, ah, I mean, I think a that's place, a cop-out. That's a that's, cop-out. That's the, yeah, yeah, I know it, it sure is, isn't it? Uh, but no, I mean, I, I think it just you know depends. I mean, this is such a big industry. I mm-hmm. mean, there's there's so much freight out there. There's It's it's such an important industry. It's, it ties into so many, uh, you know, virtually every facet of, um, of our society that uh, there's, there's never going to be one size fits all entirely. I think there's definitely room for some very big platforms, um, you know, like an Amazon that's, that dominates, but you know, it, will that, does that mean it, it, it'll solve every, uh, challenge or be the right fit for every situation? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, so I think that there, there will be, um, you know, technology vendors and smaller brokers that, um, present you know, other forms of technology to the market at large and will help to uh, solve some of the niche needs. And there's definitely, I think, going to be room for more um, entrepreneurs. Um, sure. And for a you know, continued need for smaller and mid-sized companies uh, to uh, uh, to specialize and, and have their you know, segment of the market, whatever that may be. And it's easier once there's a platform there to build on because once you, it's getting a toehold in, but let's, let's flip and do some 
other, what's your take on some other technologies that might be or might not be coming into the industry? Electric trucks, mainly for long haul, because we know for local delivery, they're here, right? Those things are here. What about for long haul? Do you see electric vehicles replacing class uh, the large over the road? Yeah, for, for long haul, electrification is definitely a longer play of all the vehicle types that are out there. Um, electrification is the most difficult and long haul over the road. Mm-hmm. It's just a, it's just, a, you know, it's, it's the limitations of the technology today. Uh, range is a limitation, of course, sure. uh, the, the charging infrastructure, uh, is not there at truck stops right. and the weight, you know, especially if you're really trying to extend the, the range of the vehicle, you're adding a lot of batteries, uh, that's adding a lot of weight. And a lot of applications that are very weight sensitive. So, I mean, mm-hmm. that comes right out of your payload. If you're, you know, capping out at uh, uh, 80,000 pounds before you cube out, you know, if you're right. hauling uh, potato chips, maybe that's fine. But uh, anything else, you know, if you're weight sensitive, that is, uh, you know, that's not a business case today or, or really anytime soon. But I think that over time in long haul, what, what will happen will be some other enabling technologies. So, there's been a lot of investment in fuel cell technology. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fuel cell uh, electric trucks are electric trucks. They have the fuel cell is essentially a, a range extender. Uh, so the technology is similar to a battery electric, but you have the, the fuel cell to um, basically it's, it's another form of energy storage. You do need to refuel the hydrogen. Um, so th- there's still that infrastructure challenge. But that's a way to get to zero emissions long haul at some point in the future. Uh, we are not on the cusp of that, I don't think. Uh, we need, there's just a lot more uh, investment. There's R&D work. And, of course, that infrastructure piece uh, is very big. But that, I think, is the pathway. Uh, okay. what, what I think we're going to see in the industry is more of a, you know, some adopters on the of battery electric trucks in the regional and local space where it can make sense very soon, if you, if, especially if you have government incentives uh, programs mm-hmm. to, to cover the, the cost differential. Um, but yeah, for long haul, I think we're going to have diesels for, for quite a long for time a while. still. Okay. Um, but there will be a future where yeah. we will have zero emission long haul trucks, probably with fuel cell, but we'll see. Uh, and it, w- it may be a technology we haven't even uh, sure. seen yet. Maybe sure. battery electric uh, has such advances that we haven't seen yet in the future that that'll start to make sense. Yeah. It, we uh, humans tend not to look around the corners that well. We, we are not very good at that. Let's hit another one. Everyone asks about it. Autonomous trucks. When will yeah, we see, so, when do you think 50% of all long haul will be moving by autonomous trucks? 50%. 50%. Yeah. Um, Just throwing it out there. Yeah. To me, 50% is decades away. Um, okay. And if, you know, like multiple decades. Uh, I just don't see it ramping up that quickly, but I think we could see say 5% um, within several years, maybe a decade. Uh, okay. It really depends on how it uh, plays out. Uh, the reason I say that is the development work is really focused on specific lanes that make sense for automation. Uh, the autonomous truck developers, I've talked to pretty much all of them. I actually just did a, a ride along with one of them in, in Albuquerque about three weeks ago. Uh, they're really, they're not trying to automate the entire industry. 
that is right. too difficult. That doesn't make sense to uh, have a truck, you know, an, an unmanned autonomous truck, you know, rolling up through a city or like an urban area sure, sure. or a complex driving environments. That's that's too difficult uh, right now. Or like, why try to solve everything instead of focusing on a business case as, as a more you know, it's an easier application to solve in a, in a right. better sense. So the focus is on kind of the middle mile, long haul, absolutely open stretches of empty highway, especially in the Southwest. Uh, a lot of the developers are focusing on, you know, right now, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, there's a lot of freight there, right? I mean, a lot of freight mm-hmm. flows in from the Southern California ports and, you know, into Texas uh, and, and, and goes from there. Uh, so there's some high density freight lanes, across some long stretches of open highway with good weather, uh, where you're not right. going to have snowstorms um, you know, for the most part. Um, and those are the kind of cases where it might make sense in the coming years to go autonomous. So it's, it's and that's just, that's a fraction of the total freight that needs to move, uh, especially if by design you're still relying on drivers, um, you know, human piloted trucks uh, to handle the first and final mile and not really first and final mile. I I say that, um, but I think that maybe like first and final leg of the journey is probably the best way to think about it because it can be like a regional route. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the back end. Um, So. uh, I think everyone would agree with you. Middle mile will be the one it'll, it'll be like intermodal on rubber uh, tires. Right. Yeah. Um, Uh, that's, Yeah. That's exactly, I think that's a very helpful way of thinking about it. And you know, the day when, you know, half of the freight is moved via unmanned truck, um, fully autonomous, uh, that's going to take a long time, I think, because uh, it, it's just, there's so much freight that's local or so much freight that's regional. Oh, right? sure, doesn't sure. make a lot of sense. Sure. Yep, and there's yep. also some routes that are not very high density, um, where yeah. like, does it really make sense uh, in the near, near to medium term to try to automate that? So I think this is going to be a supplement. You know, this is going to complement the workforce. Is going to Got bridge it. the gap. Um, this is going to be a uh, something that helps to maybe even make jobs a little bit more appealing, because more of the driver jobs would naturally start to shift more towards shorter length of haul, more regional, more local. Right, right. And those jobs are the ones that are easier to fill. Um, yeah, you, know, yeah, you yeah. see the younger drivers coming up. Generally, many more would rather have a job with more home time. You know, maybe they're you know, out for, uh, overnight, but they're back, you know, the, the traditional out for a few weeks at a time, that's tougher and tougher to find younger people who want to sure. do that. No, that so makes you sense. automate a lot of that. Uh, it starts to create job opportunities that are better aligned with the preferences of the workforce. Uh, so to me, it actually fits very nicely together. I don't think it's a threat to driver jobs at all. Um, anytime, you know, while probably either of us is, is writing about the industry. Fair, fair. Okay, last question. What do you see as the next big technological innovation that would change truckload uh, the industry? What do you think? Ooh. Well, we just talked about a lot of them. Um, there's electrification, you know, for certain applications. There's, mm-hmm. there's automation, again, for certain applications. And, you know, for on the software side and business intelligence side, I, I will go back to AI, machine learning, um, you know, there are ways to, again, make better business decisions and wring more capacity or, or efficiency out of the available capacity that's, that's out there today 
to make drivers job more efficient. Uh, there, there's so much opportunity there that we're really just scratching the surface on. Uh, so that's, that to me is an area that really deserves a lot of, uh, attention, a lot of focus. Sure. Um, I mean, really this, this is the future of software development in general. And, you know, I think that, you know, that there's a, a lot of opportunity there to make the lives of, of drivers easier that way. And, you know, it can tie in with shippers. It can tie in with, uh, you know, brokers. Everybody has greater access to key information and, uh, analytics to, you know, especially like, again, when, when capacity is tight, then you can start to have those conversations with shippers. Hey, look, right. we really need to take care of the situation. You know, you're holding our drivers up. Um, you know, this is important. Part of the reason you can't find a truck is because, you know, right, the right. truck's waiting at, at another stop, waiting to, uh, to get back out on the road. Um, now with, with the market turning a little bit, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, maybe that conversation is, is not quite as easy to have with, with shippers, but, uh, it needs to happen regardless. And, uh, the technology that can point to the inefficiencies sure. can, can aid that conversation. Yeah. And, you know, we, we are seeing a softening of the market and we'll see whether it's a, a bloodbath or whether it's a soft landing. Um, but all that I see, the difference is it's the of choice change, right? Because right now the, everyone wants to be shipper of choice, but give it about three months, everyone will be carrier of choice. Yeah, that's right. It seems like it, it, it changes based on the softness and, and tightness of the market. But Seth, I really enjoyed talking to you today. Thanks. Uh, thanks for all your insights. No, great conversation. Um, you know, this is a really fascinating industry to cover. I've really enjoyed it these past uh, 10, 11 years. And uh, it's can only imagine, based on what we've seen the last decade, uh, we'll see a decade from now. Yeah. All right. Well, everyone stay tuned for the Truckload Market Update with Dr. Inami Yu. Welcome to the Over the Road Truckload Market Update for May 19th, 2022. In today's market update, we'll discuss the market changes in the last two weeks. Let's start with dry van. Active rates are down 1%, spot rates down 5%, and replacement rates positive 6%. This means the new contract rates are about 6% above the rates being replaced. On the temp control side, active rates are down 2%, Spot rates down 2.5% and replacement rates positive 2%. In a model, active rates are up half percent, spot rates down half percent, and replacement rates positive 10%. And finally, on the flatbed, active rates are down 1.5%, spot rates down half percent, and replacement rates positive 9%. So Enam, some big big some things are continuing and some things were a big change. So what, what are the big trends that have been continuing over the last couple weeks or months? I think the, uh, the spot rates are continuing to drop, and this we have seen the last few updates. Active rates were, was bouncing, and that's what we predicted as well. So last update we gave, and active, active rates went up. Uh, this week it's gone down. So we are seeing the active rates bouncing around. As far as the replacement rates, we see for, uh, you know, we used to be in the mid-teens when the market was really tight, and then we were in the double digits, low double digits for a long time, and now we are 
we know, 5-6% uh, the replacement rates for dry van and temp control. So I think th- those all signs pointing towards market slowing down and the rates dropping. Right. Except flatbed, which makes sense because flatbed's still booming with the construction and everything where their replacement rate's still at 9%. Intermodal's still kind of a mess at 10%. That makes, that makes a ton of sense. So do you think we're heading to a bloodbath or do you think we're just softening? Where do you think it's going to go? I think we are back in the, the general economic cycle, right? So rates, right. We, we talked about uh, last update, we talked about spot rates. Again, this is from a shipper's perspective. So spot rates crossing the contract rate line. And this week we are seeing it's about 15 cents below the contract rate. So it'll continue, and I, I would see, you know, if I'm a guessing uh, betting person, I would say it'll con- the spot rates will continue for another six months in the in this path until it hits the bottom. Right, and so we've talked before about there being a, a drop in some volume in Q1 compared to the previous year, but I think you said six percent. Do you think that drop in volume is enough? to loosen up the market so that it keeps things out of spot and, and they keep things going on the routing guide and the primary carrier? Do you think that just a 6% volume drop, is that significant? I think one would be that anytime the volume drops, I think it allows things to get more stable, right? So I think the, the biggest problem in the spot market or spot market being so high was because of the instability and, and variability. So I would think that, yes, you know, just dropping some level in, in the volume, like 6%, this is 6% was year over year compared to Q1 right. 2021. I think that itself should take a decent amount of air out of the, the whole market. Yeah. And then the other thing is fuel. So the fuel this most recent week went up, what, just 10 cents? So it's jumping around still above $5. What do you think the impact is there? I think for the shipper, obviously, you know, it 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 will change, go towards the uh, the cost of goods, which is, again, turns back to inflation. But, uh, you know, as we had continued to talk about, the, the bigger impact is going to be for the small carriers and spot loads. For the uh, contract carriers, the impact is going to be on the empty empty legs, right? Because they have to pay this high price on the empty legs. For example, a year ago, they were paying about 30 cents a mile. They were getting about 30 cents a mile on fuel surcharge. Currently, they should be getting about 68 cents. So it's more than doubled. So in other words, you know, so that amount that they, they will not get on the empty hauls. Right. And then the other thing, it's the impact of fuel is not universal across all carriers. It's disproportionately hard on smaller carriers, one for the cash flow and all of that, but also bigger trucking companies have newer equipment generally. And so they have better fuel efficiency. And, you know, the dirty secret for a lot of carriers is they make money off the fuel surcharge. If they're being compensated at six miles per gallon and they're actually at six and a half to seven or, or higher, then of course they're going to be making money on that fuel surcharge. It won't cover everything, uh, but it's certainly better than carriers on the other side that have like five mile per gallon uh, efficiency. So it's a disproportionate effect based on the carrier size. And I, I guess that'll have an impact on the capacity brought in into the market. Yeah. And survivability of the smaller carriers uh, as the few, if the good thing is last week to this week, it didn't change that much, the the fuel right. price itself, but you know, who I knows? It went up a penny. Yes. <laughs> so let's hope at least it's, you know, this is the highest we have seen, hopefully. And if, if it let's drops. Let's hope so. 
Yeah. We'll have to we'll have to see what Putin does next. We'll see. <laughs> All right. Well, that concludes this week's truckload market update. Thanks, Enum. Thank you. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Freight Find. The Freight Find podcast is hosted by Dr. Enam Ayub and myself, Chris Kaplis, and is produced and edited by DATIQ. For more information or to hear previous episodes, please visit our website at dat.com slash podcasts. You can subscribe to The Freight Find wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, be sure to give us a review. As always, if you have any feedback or questions about what you've heard on The Freight Find or suggestions for what you'd like to hear in the future, send an email to me at chris.caplis at dat.com. Finally, from all of us at The Freight Find, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something new. Thank you.